So this is pretty exciting. We're a very new, we're a very new podcast, and so we're trying to build our audience, and we'd love your help. But we won't make you help us do this for nothing. We actually have something pretty cool. Yeah, in the Christmas spirit, uh, we have as a story that I've recommended on this podcast, Charles Dickens's Christmas Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a company called Poster Text, where they take all of the text of a story and they throw it up onto a poster that sort of creates an image that comes out of that story. We happen to have a copy of the Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol poster. Yeah, uh, so go to the poster text website and type in Christmas Carol and you'll see this beautiful thing. And we would like to give it away to one of you, one of you. One of you listeners. All you have to do is post about our podcast um, with the link to our iTunes or our Stitcher page. Yep. Uh, post on Facebook, on Twitter, Twitter Tumblr. Ello. Um, yeah. Ello, Instagram, Yelp, <laughs> anywhere you'd like on a on a subway somewhere with graffiti, whatever it is, yeah. Um, just send it to us, show it to us somehow. Whether you tag us or you take a picture of it and email it to us, so many damn books at gmail.com. And uh, and you know we will uh, announce the winner at some point, but uh, probably yeah. on our Twitter. Yep. Or yep, and yep. our Facebook and uh, and. You know, please do that before the end of the year. Yeah, and uh, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks so much for you guys, and uh, and thank you for po- to poster text. Yeah, thank you very much. So many, so many, so many. Damn books. Uh, Whoa. Merry, Merry Christmas from so many damn books. Indeed. Um, happy. It's, you know, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. Oh, by that's far. nice. I just don't even understand. I, you know what? But I you just, know what? If you do you, man. The that's world, a good... if the world looked like Christmas for a long time, that'd be all right. And I, Jack... The Pumpkin King will come visit you sometime. <laughs> Over in Christmas Town. <laughs> Over in Christmas Town. Um, but let's talk about holiday stories. I mean, I personally, I love books with Christmas in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Harry Potter is the best example. I mean, I love when Christmas shows up in those books. Sure. Um, like Dobby giving everyone socks. Yeah. He knit and... Um, but do you have do you have some favorite holiday uh, holiday stories holiday tales? I mean, I Drew, I'm Christopher Powell. Oh yeah, hi, I'm Drew. <laughs> we assume that you've been listening for long enough now. Yeah, you, you know probably, us. You know us. Um, you're like our friends. Yeah. I have to say, and I feel like I've now brought him up a considerable amount sure. in the several episodes that we've done. But uh, I always go back to Charles Dickens's Christmas stories. Yeah, because he. More than Christmas Carol? Yeah, I actually, I don't like A Christmas Carol. I think that that's one of those few stories in the universe that has transcended its original form. And like the movie adaptations and just the fact, it like has become... It's too much, is that what you're saying? Transcended to badness? No, well, no, the other... Like the, the forms are better. Yeah. It, so. it has pervaded our consciousness so much right. that now... Have you seen that weird Bill Murray? Yeah, Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. It's a weird one. But like also, yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol. So, but what, tell me about one of these Christmas stories. Why, why is that so, why are they good? Well, 
all of them, he just, it's very clear that not, not unlike you, he just loves Christmas. Mm. Like there's a, there's a, a little short story about like a family going to get a Christmas tree. But like, it's just, he, he wrote so many of them. He wrote basically one a year when he was publishing uh, whatever his, I forget what the name of the, the journal, I guess we would call it now that he was putting out. But like they published, he had Christmas stories every year for people. Hmm. This and, is something I did not know. Yeah. And it's just, you know, A Christmas Carol is the one that we all know because it, it is probably the most um, narrative. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are, they're just like celebrations of the spirit of the season. Oh man, I really get into that. That sounds good. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah. I um I I love of course um David Sedaris's Holiday is on Ice. Oh, yeah. Such an amazing collection of his uh, of his holiday stuff. Yeah. Um of course this essay that made him famous mm-hmm. is in there um about the holiday being a holiday elf. And it's just he's it just captured him it captures him perfectly. And I think that I think that one of the great things about Christmas stories is you have you have your own idea of Christmas. And so like it's, you can make these stories very vivid mm-hmm. because you, you, these are details that you can really, you know, we have, you know, along with the decorations being put out earlier, you know what those decorations are like. So when someone talks about a garland, you have, you know, Macy's garland stuck right. in your hand. And, yeah. um, I, I, I have a very, I have a little bit of an obscure favorite. I don't know how obscure it is, but it's called The Autobiography of Santa Claus by uh, by Jeff Gwynn. Oh my God, I read that as a kid. I yeah. forgot about that book. It's a great book. Oh man, it's marvelous. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, where he, it's one of these fake, where he, uh, Jeff, he, Santa Claus stopped by the paper one night. <laughs> he, he works for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And and Santa Claus is like, I want to tell you the story of me. Yeah. And it, and it's great. Um, you know, and a good, and it's a, it's a nice uh, hardcover too. Yeah. Very Nicely, pretty object. Well, well designed. I've, I have a weird favorite too. It's not a novel though, or okay. a writing. I mean, it is writing cause it's, but Aaron Sorkin can write a Christmas episode. Oh yeah. Every Christmas episode of the West Wing, that one Christmas episode of Studio 60 that's the best episode of Studio 60, which is not saying <laughs> much but a low bar. Yeah. yeah. But like that guy just knows how to write an episode where you're like, "Mhm." Yeah. Like I'm going to go I'm going to go sit next to the Christmas tree and watch this on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I always uh, I do a, a annual rewatching of all the holiday episodes of The Office. Oh yeah, they, those, those are, are all, good too. Yeah. Those are all really good, um, and of course, like for some reason, kids get all the best stories. Sure. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is, of course, amazing, and the uh, Polar Express. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, there's a few others, but Polar Express is really, it's really an amazing book. Yeah, it's very beautiful, and and I really love those those books that sort of um, because the because, you know, the the um, North Pole is such like a strange thing. It's fun to kind of imagine imagine how it would work, and, right. that, and that book really makes that idea that it could be real come come to light. Mm-hmm. Gosh, those are so much fun. So with books like Autobiography of Santa Claus, 
you know, you've got this character that you can just tell any story about because Santa Claus is one of these, you can just, there's skinny Santa, there's fat Santa, mm-hmm. there's the, there's all of the strange cultural different Santas that there are. And so he's one of these characters that you can kind of do whatever you want with. Right. And there's a whole world of these characters uh, in the world of pastiches. And Santa Claus is one that I don't mind because he's so sort of thinly drawn <laughs> that you can do what, you know, only Coca-Cola is, Coca-Cola is what, you know, popularized the fat, jolly Santa. Santa yeah. yeah. That was um, first described in Twas the Night Before Christmas. Right. Um, but these other, there are other characters that are kind of like that, that are not as thinly drawn as you may remember them, but like Sherlock Holmes. James Bond. Peter Pan, yeah, Jane Austen books, <laughs> yeah, again, <laughs> uh, that that uh, pastiches are are abound. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing in our popular culture to see these stories that survive and these characters who sort of hang on in popular consciousness to the point of you know you look at you know I mean comic books too you look at Batman, Superman. These characters who have gone through iterations and, like, we talk about how this writer and their version of this story. And, like, okay, so that exists. So, like, this guy who, um, William Boyd wrote the most recent James Bond novel. And, like, right. that Bond novel versus the Fleming novels versus that time that Kingsley Ami wrote a Bond novel under a pseudonym. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. There's something that makes me really wary about about pastiches for some reason. And I think it's, I think it's partially just because I read a couple, I've read a few, um, like uh, different ones. Like I, I read, um, Dave Barry's and Ridley Pearson's, um, Peter Pan series, Peter Mm. and the star catchers. Mm -hmm. Great Broadway play. Great Broadway play. Uh, really kind of poor, um, imitation of, of Peter Pan. Really? Where they're just sort of adventure yarns where the character is named Peter Pan, he can fly. And it's not really like the spirit of, of childhood and what it means to grow up and how you see your parents and how you see adulthood. I don't know. I, I think that, I think that that is what is makes me like stuff like that, where it's just so disappointing and it makes me like feel like they didn't do the character justice. So I think that that's what, makes me really worried about about them and I think that makes them work so well in comic books is like it was always sort of a sketchily drawn right you know just attributes and powers that you could just like apply to any situation well so then do you think in I'm thinking again about Bond like um Jeffrey Deaver wrote a Bond novel a couple of years ago where it brought it into the present carte blanche but he brought Bond into the present, kind of like what the movies have always done. They've always moved him chronologically forward. And then right bef- the novel before that was Sebastian Falks. And it says very explicitly on the cover, Sebastian Falks writing as Ian Fleming for, oh uh, man, I forget what the name of that one was, but it doesn't matter, the Sebastian Falks one. And, you know, th- I guess the point of this this tangent this question is like <laughs> what what makes a pastiche work for you? is it is it the character or is it trying to imitate the writing style well that's i mean that's probably the really big thing that i i disliked about those uh dave barry books 
they bury Ridley Pearson books, and I like both those writers in other places. Mm-hmm. Is just that like that they didn't even try to do the J.M. Barry voice, which would be actually really hard because it was so whimsical and so just him yeah. in in the novel. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it make what what makes it live or what makes it die. I think it's one of, it's one of these things where. I need a reason to be returning to the character. I think that's probably what it is. Um, Interesting. Where if it's just like another adventure, like another Bond adventure, eh. but if it's the, if there's a reason like, oh, it's he's like 85 years old, but he's being pulled in to fight his old foe. That's kind of, that, that interests me more because it's like, you know, it's not the character that we know. Right. It's some someone a little different, someone that, that, that wasn't covered by... Um, but also Bond, you know, was played by he's played by what six different actors at this point, right? So he was he's he's always been sort of a cipher. Yeah, well, I mean, in the perfect other example, and this sort of is a nice transition for us into our book this episode mm-hmm. is Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Holmes has been played by hundreds of actors now, right? Um, and yet, you know, we keep coming back, and sometimes it's like just another Holmes adventure, and you're like, oh, okay, that. That ticked all of the boxes that I needed it to do. But then there are also these stories of Holmes doing different things or being in a different place. Like right. with uh, Laurie R. King's Mary Russell series, um, the first book of which... The Beekeeper's Apprentice or The Segregation of the Queen. And uh, he's an older man. He's in his 50s. He's right. in his retirement out in the Sussex Downs yeah. keeping bees. Yeah, and, he's, and he, he seems... Before Mary Russell comes into his life, he is he has sort of given up a little bit the the detecting business and is much more settled down. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah. The the thrust of this novel is that it's written from the perspective of this young American girl, um, well, American and English, um, Mary Russell, who I think she meets him when she's fifteen. 15. Mm-hmm. And she fall, stumbles over him as she's out, like with her nose in a book, and he's looking at bees. And they recognize um, kindred spirits in a way. Mm-hmm. They both have very quick minds. And Holmes kind of takes her on as a an apprentice, and they get caught up in um, a rather dastardly plot against Holmes. Right. Um, to uh, well, it starts with um, an American ambassador or. Mm-hmm. I think it was an American ambassador. No, he's a senator. Senator's daughter getting um, abducted. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be a part of a larger plot against Holmes personally. Yep. I was, I was very charmed by the book. Um, I thought, and I, and I really liked, you know, you could solve this mystery with, with her in right. a, a little bit. Um, but the other thing that I thought was sort of fun and, and why I think it worked is because like, like I said, like we're, we're coming at homes in a different time in his life, you know, like, and, and all of the other stories, you know, she kind of is saying like, you know, Watson got some stuff wrong and some stuff, right. You know, like he's got a romantic mind and I don't. So, yeah. so you're getting the full truth with Mary Russell. Yeah. And I mean the, I want to read a little, Oh yeah, a little excerpt that. But it was the moment that, as I was reading this, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is something different. This is this is not how we expect to see the great detective." Mm, good setup. One warning finger was raised, and I bit back the words that would have only made matters worse. 
Holmes, four days ago you were concussed and bleeding. Holmes, you've had less than a dozen hours sleep in the last 80. Holmes, you were exhausted and furious when you saw the note, and you would have called to mind the characteristic missing serif on the A and the off-center tipsy L and the high M. You would have consciously remembered seeing them, if not today, then tomorrow, or the next day, Holmes. However, I said nothing, because he would only hear, Holmes, you're slipping. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't think about Sherlock Holmes as somebody who slips. Right. No, and, and, and um... And the other things that I kind of that I think kind of make this work is that Mary Russell is a great audience surrogate, mm-hmm. where she's pulling us into the world of Holmes, and and it's not like oh it's just another Sherlock Holmes story where he's like going after you know JFK's assassin, <laughs> which is a real mm-hmm. novel that exists somewhere I don't know where. Um, it's it's something that's much more like just Laurie R. King's creation. Um, and, and, and we're welcomed into, into, you know, how, how he feels about Watson now and how, how his brother Mycroft is doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, I like the bolt holes, like the, all the places that he can, he has around London that he set up like tiny flats for himself in case he needs to hide out for a couple days. Yeah. I mean, there's even a moment too, where she says something, cause these are written similarly to how Conan Doyle wrote. You know, they were Watson's memoirs that he wrote and then gave to Conan Doyle to publish. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like, Laurie R. King sets up this thing at the beginning where she's like, I received this mysterious box. <laughs> like, whoa, how weird. Right. But then there are these notes where she's like, I don't want to tell you where these bolt holes are in case they're still in use. And you're like, oh, what if they are? <laughs> right. And I think that there's something to, like like I was saying, like, you writing it in the sort of spirit of, of Conan Doyle mm-hmm. and like trying to sort of match the way that he writes made for a more fulfilling read. And it made it feel like there was someone at the, at the wheel that really cares deeply about the Holmes mythology. Yeah. I mean, cause I, Holmes is one of my all time favorite literary figures and sure. I've, I've read a lot of Holmes pastiches and people, you know, I've not read the JFK one, but now I kind of want to. But even thinking about like the Basil Rathbone films when I was a kid and they brought him into World War II, but still as, you know, a 30 something man or like did you dropping s- him into a steampunk universe. Did you see the, the Michael Caine um, yeah. one where, where it turns out Sherlock Holmes is doddering old fool and Watson's the true yeah. smart person behind him? I loved that. Yeah, that was a nice turnaround. That was, uh, you know, and and I actually really love the the Robert Downey Jr. ones, even though they're a little flashbang. Yeah, they're still really fun. Yeah, and you know, bringing the best thing about those films is that it brought Watson back from being the the Nigel Bruce like kind of pudgy, just do 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 do, to being somebody who like this guy was in a war, he survived a war, now he's gonna come, you know. He can go toe to toe with you. He's just more a man of action than of brains. What is it about? What is it about Holmes? You know, because there's more than just that. I mean, there's House. There's mm-hmm. which was which is the ultimate Holmes pastiche where they they even are like Holmes House. Yeah. <laughs> um, how that got off the ground, I have no no idea. But I, I don't a simpler watch. time. <laughs> but what is I I I you know no one will no one will know. But he's just sort of like the ultimate like human superhero. He doesn't have any powers, mm-hmm. but he's got but you kind of feel like if you if you were just a little smarter, 
Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing about Batman is that he originally was a detective. There's something, I think, inherently compelling about a person who uses nothing more than their brain to be able to defeat dastardly plots. I think there's something, I think it's, it's gotta be the detective genre in general, which is, which is so nice, which is like, life is so crazy. Mm -hmm. But if you're a detective, you can draw a straight line through life and all of the plot will make sense and come together in the end. And you'll find out who murdered your sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, that's what keeps, that's what keeps me coming back to Holmes, especially because there's something too about his, He's not the first detective, but no. he's so early in the genre that he, and it's it's my big problem with the, my only problem really with the BBC Sherlock that's running right now, is that how can you have the modern day without Sherlock Holmes? I know. Like there would not, there would not be detective fiction without <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. That, that's, um, that's something watching the CBS elementary, Yeah, uh, the same question. And it's so funny too, because I, at some points you kind of just want the cops to be like, Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, you're kidding. I read all these <laughs> books when I was a kid based on that character. You're a lot like him. You're Johnny Lee Miller's just like, you can't tell, but Drew's just making. <laughs> I was making an angry face. <laughs> I was doing my angry Johnny Lee Miller face. Yeah, that's um. This is a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and it's over. I think. No, wait. Recommendations. Oh yeah. Uh, what, uh, what do you, what do you no, recommend? No, you go first. What am I? What do I recommend? I recommend um. You know, uh, we're coming into Christmas, so the we have less time to just read. So I think uh, picking up a book of short fiction is probably mm. a good idea. And one of my favorite short fiction writers is this guy, Simon Armitage. And he has um, an awesome collection called Seeing Stars. Mm. And they're, they're flash fiction. They're like under 300 words, a lot of them. Cool. And, and they're very, they give you, it's just enough to read like three or four to, you know, when you're, done with your holiday shopping or in between or someone is in the store and you're waiting for them to come out it's a very slim little volume but uh any really any of his work i'm sure is 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 top notch as this nice what about you um in the in the holmesian vein almost okay um douglas preston and lincoln child have a new special agent pendergast novel out Pendergast being their long-running Holmesian detective. See, I gave up on him because he's far too powerful. Here's the thing. I, for a while, I, you know, I kept reading them in that way of like, well, uh, and for a while, man, it really, the quality dipped for a while. Cause he was, he's just, he's, he's, he's a superhuman. Super hu- yeah. Um, their newest one, Blue Labyrinth. It's not, he's still got some of that superhuman stuff, but it was, it's the first time in a long time that, and I, it's one of those books where I'm like, I don't want to say anything about the plot. Right. But it, he all of a sudden seems human again. Mm. And like the plot, it's new, it's fresh for them. It's propulsive. He's still got, you know, those Holmesian tricks of his, but at the same time I was like, oh yeah, 14 books in, you guys have, you guys have got me hooked again. Nice. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always looking for a chance to read one of those again because those were some of the first adult books that I read. So before we go, and bef- before we before we go, um, 
we should talk about the tournament of books because it's about to happen. Oh yeah, they said the long list is coming out uh, this this coming Friday, the nineteenth. The nineteenth of December, twenty four. So this is, I mean, I can't even really think of the comparison. And um, the way we record this, it's very difficult for us to comment on the actual long list uh, timely. Yep. So we're just gonna, Drew. I would like to know. Give me your three books that you really hope are on the long list, the short list. Like, what what do you want to be talking about this year in 2015? All right, my um, give me one, give me number one. Number one, the book that I will be genuinely upset with if it's not on the list in some way, shape, or form is Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Whether it's the Compendium, the Area X, all three volumes at once, or if it's just Annihilation, the first one. I'm not gonna lie to you. I really feel like the book. I feel like Annihilation itself has a better chance of winning the winning the tournament than the whole trilogy. Not because the trilogy is is bad, but because Annihilation on its own is such a beautiful and and intriguing piece. Yeah, and it, and it and actually stands very well on its own. I agree with you. I think that my guess is that that they would put that on over the whole trilogy. Uh, yeah, because I've seen it as as far as like best of 2014 lists. Mm-hmm. I've seen Annihilation on a on a few, and the Southern Reach trilogy on maybe one, maybe Slate's overlooked books. We've all heard of Jeff Andermeer, but as far as the rest of the country is concerned, right? Listeners out there, I will. They better have read it. <laughs> we talked about <laughs> we, it. Yeah. Uh, um, what's your What's your number one? My number one, and I actually, I can't, I can't honestly be like, what I don't know, angry if it's not on because. My my babies never get on. <laughs> um, but I really... Uh, Marie Helen Bertino, 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. I've recommended mm-hmm. it on this yes, podcast. And I love that book. And I think that it needs a wider readership. And, it, and I think that discussing it with book people would be really fun. Because it has the storytelling and the pathos that I feel like it could go all the way and win. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm going to try to read that actually over Christmas break on you your sh- recommendation. It's so short. It's like 220 pages. I'm actually... It takes place in Philadelphia, where I'm originally from, where I'll be. So there's that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll have to tell me how that is. Yeah. Um, but wait, the thing you just said about making wanting to hear the conversation about it is what makes me want David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks on there. I loved that book, but I, I just watching the critical commentary around it where everyone was like... This book is great, except for this really crazy fantasy section, which is a section that I loved in the book. I just feel like it's one of those books that, like, the conversation will be awesome. Even right. if it's one round, the conversation will be great. In the tournament of books, there's always, like, the the token young adult. Mm-hmm. And another book that I've recommended on this podcast I really would enjoy talking about with the TOB people, uh, We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. Um, there is the precedent of like, they don't always pull in authors a mm-hmm. second time. And she was already on for, um, the disreputable history of Frankie Landau Banks, right? which is a, another great book by her. But I feel like this book is even more sophisticated and the TOB audience I think would really go for it. Yeah. And then the final thing, I mean, the yeah. thing about the TOB is that it always makes you read books that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise read, or even books that you were interested in reading, but just were like, ah, that's an investment of time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a pick like that? Yeah. Um, Sarah Waters, The Paying Guests, it's like a 
page historical novel that is somewhat like a manners novel and somewhat, I guess, a murder mystery halfway through. I mean, if you have 750 pages, it's got to be more than one thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm so interested in reading a Sarah Waters book I never have before, and they all sound really good to me. But like this book has, um, it's been on more best of lists than anything. I've been interested in reading it, but again, it's that time commitment of 750 mm-hmm. pages that I would love to also get the benefit of not just having reading read the book, but also having the conversation of the tournament of books around it. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, you? One more? Yeah. It, in the same vein, uh, Marlon James's Brief History of Seven Killings. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm right. I mean, I'm right there with you on that. Something just like the bright yellow cover with the green bird, like it's visually interesting. The plot sounds cool. It's taking place around the attempted assassination of Bob Marley, but I mean, even from from the New York Times review, where like Michiko Kakutani was talking about it being like the best pot smoking experience you've ever had. I remember reading that and just being like, "What? Yeah, this is okay." When have you smoked pot, Michiko? But again, it's like 700 pages and it's a, it's a time commitment. It like, you pick it up and it just feel you, you're like, Oh, well, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. On I'm Friday. so excited. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time. Nice. Yeah. Oh, before we go, yeah. let me ask you, uh-huh. will you read Another one of the Laurier King Mary Russell novels. I uh, I'm gonna leave this to you, <laughs> and you can get back to me if I should. Um, I I'm curious, but you know, there's so many books out there in the world that I kind of feel like if how, I'm gonna how do, many books I don't know a lot um, that I, I don't I can go into a, it's not this it didn't grab me it didn't grab me to continue. Are you? I think I want to, I want to do one more at least and then see mm. in that way of, you know, this was the origin story. What happens once we know who these people are? There's also a middle reader series, um, Enola Holmes, which is, um, the niece of Sherlock Holmes. Is it like Encyclopedia Brown or something? This it's actually, like- it's, it's really solid. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. I read, two, I've read, I've probably read more. I've, I read like two of those. I could probably read more of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, more books. It, there's a lot of books to read. There, there are. We hope you get a bunch of them. Yeah. In and your you're... stocking, under the tree, whatever. Yeah. This year. And then we'll uh, we'll talk to you one more time before the year is out. Yeah. So in the meantime, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah.